Dare to create a transformative practice on the back end of your funnel versus the front. Because as Megan just said, and as I just showed a client, that is where you are going to create impact for your patient and for your practice. The math just shows it time and time again. And Megan, I had no idea it went from 650 to 3,500. But I'm like, calculate your lifetime value. And also your profit margins go up because you have less and less expenses going into a backend product like that. You don't need ads. You don't need ad management. You've got the people. They already love you. They're already seeing the transformation. This is Impact, the podcast where we explore entrepreneurship, mindset, and health to provide you with the ingredients for an unregrettable version of your life story. I recently went up to my cottage by myself. Now, my team was coming a few days later, but I I needed I needed space from my business and from my family and uh, all the things to just really reflect on where I wanted to go and the responsibility that I needed to own and us not getting there the way that I wanted. And one of the things I spent some time with that I really wanted to unpack and explore were some of my own mindset pieces related to money. And I've spoken about money before on the podcast and I've been really open about the fact that, you know, I had this opportunity when I was was young to to learn about money from my dad. I learned a lot about mechanics. And as I reflected while I was up there, I really started to realize that while I had a strong foundation in mechanics, where I wanted to spend more time and where I had always worked intuitively, but not in a system was around the energetics and the combination of that mindset piece and the mechanics of money. How do we talk about law of attraction and abundance and incorporate a need to understand how money works and flows? And as I masterminded with myself and pulled some of these pieces together, I started to create a framework, a framework around something I call quantum wealth. And as I looked at this and really started to delineate these different levels of growth and awareness that we all have the potential to move through, I came to realize the conversations and the roles and the way that that I hedge and some of the conversations that I allow to permeate in my communities related to money. I had not put my foot down in as forthcoming a manner as I should have in terms of conversations around scarcity. I let conversations around scarcity and I let excuses around not having acumen about money in particular in our practitioner groups. I let those just sit. I let them sit and be in our community. And as I reflected on where I wanted to go and where I wanted and how I wanted to lead people, what I realized is that I needed to own that completely, not only own responsibility for allowing that to happen, but I also needed to own responsibility for charting a new course. And so when I had the chance to meet with my mastermind group a few weeks ago, I shared with them this insight that I had developed. And I also shared with them that I would, moving forward, no longer be tolerant of conversations surrounding scarcity. 
that I would no longer allow people to say, well, I'm uncomfortable talking about money. I just want to help people and letting that be a sufficient reason for people not taking responsibility for the management of money in their life or in their business. I've shared this before that one of the number one reasons that people would cite on their intake forms in my clinical practice, number one causes of stress for them were finances. And yet as a practitioner cohort where we see similar demographics and sources of stress in people, we have in many cases turned it up, turned a blind eye to taking responsibility for these own elements in our own lives. I'm excited about what is possible for us as an industry, for us as women, for myself in particular, as an individual, about what is possible when I take total ownership over my management of money, not just the mechanics, which I was very fortunate to be exposed to, but the mindset pieces that accompany it. And so it's in this spirit, it's in the spirit of taking total responsibility for this component of of money that I'm excited about my guests that I have on the podcast today. And she is an individual who has been here with me before in, in, in the former Anthropology Days on our virtual practice podcast um, and on many masterclasses to my practitioner community, and that is April Stroink. April is a money coach and financial advisor who specializes in helping clinician entrepreneurs create financial clarity, ease, and abundance in their practice. And today, what we're going to talk about is how do we future-proof our practice? What do we need to know and think about so that our practices are safe into the future? Because here's the reality. We are kind of on the brink of a bit of a financial storm. And storms are not necessarily meant to swoop us out into sea. When you see the storm coming, there are decisions that you can make to help protect your home, to help protect your life. This may or may not end up being a very large financial hurricane. But here's the thing about a hurricane. You can see it coming. Those people who will fare the best are the ones who can acknowledge the trajectory of the storm and make decisions in alignment with what is coming their way. And that's really what April and I unpack today. We talk about some of the mindset and thinking traps that practitioners are finding themselves in. And we talk about some of the techniques and tactics and strategies and tools for thinking that some of the most successful practitioners are deploying in their practice. When we get down to brass tacks on this, we're talking about how much money can a practitioner afford to pull out of their business? What percentage of your total revenue should you be reallocating into your business? And what are some of the ways of thinking or things that you can deploy to minimize your risk moving forward? We unpack all of it in today's episode here on the Impact Podcast. This is one not anyone is going to miss because my friends, there is a storm brewing around us. And those who are best prepared are going to be in the best position to take advantage of the opportunities that lay before them. It is in the spirit of we are no longer hanging out in scarcity. We are taking responsibility for our capacity to have maximum impact and abundance that I introduce you to my friend, April Stroink. April Stroink, welcome to Impact. Hey, Megan, thanks for having me back. Okay. We've got a lot to talk about, and I know for some of my listeners who haven't had a chance to meet you, we're going to get into who you are and what you do, but before we do that, we are recording this on September 26th, and 
April lives just outside of Halifax in Nova Scotia and has only had power come back on to her home in the last 12 hours. And I want to actually first start to talk about Hurricane Fiona and how it has impacted you, because I actually think it's going to set the stage for everything else that we talk about today. How, like, how are you guys doing? We, we might even lose internet halfway through this interview. What, like, set the scene for us right now in Nova Scotia? Absolutely. So I live right in Halifax, actually, and uh, which took a big brunt of Fiona. I do have to say, as Haligonians, this isn't our first rodeo. So uh, we've prepared for, through Dorian. We've prepared through Juan. And quite frankly, this is, this is the new norm. So we have to confront this unless we're really going to really confront climate uh, change. And so um, around two o'clock in the mo- morning, Fiona uh, hit us and uh, immediately we lost power. It was just wild. Um, the leaves were on the trees. So this is early for hurricane season for us. So leaves were pounding against the walls of the house and big crack. And then I thought there was lightning. It was just transformers blowing everywhere. Um, so wake up all the neighbors out on the street, of course, and uh, massive trees. I don't know if you've been to Halifax, but it is a tree city. Massive. We lost a 300-year-old tree that we affectionately called the Shuby tree. That got lost as well. And of course, just power out everywhere. Not as impact as hard as our neighbors in Cape Breton, in PEI, and of course, Port Basque in, in Newfoundland. So my heart goes out to all of our Atlantic neighbors. But one of the things that I do love about a hurricane, if you can say there's things you do love about a hurricane, is I live on a very short street in Halifax with a very big heart. So immediately neighbors getting out, helping one another, clearing trees. A game of 12 hand game of cards on Saturday night around uh, candlelight. Everybody was out in the streets yesterday with their barbecues, barbecuing up for people who don't have access to hot meals. And so it really brings community together. But yeah, we got, I'm, I'm going to New York tomorrow to Profit First uh, with Mike Michalowicz. And I was really scared I was going to get on the plane, super smelly. But uh, power came back and I was able to take a shower. No internet at my house, of course, but internet at the office. So, so here we are, no school and uh, lots of debris to clean up. Okay. And we opened with this notion of, of um, Fiona, because I think we both agreed to kind of set the stage for what we want to get into today. And we're going to be talking about this idea of future-proofing your business and future-proofing your practice and, and some of the mechanics of money that we need to acknowledge and lean into and master as we really move into a new economic era. It's like planet Earth just can't give us a break right now. We went from, you know, bacterial virology systems uh, wreaking havoc to economic systems now having their their moment in time. And I'm sure next we'll be managing climate change. But before we get into that piece, April, for for my listeners who haven't had the chance to meet you, can you give us a, a, a brief overview of your story, who you are, and why you really are so passionate about uh, helping practitioners in particular uh, get the money pieces together in their life and business? Absolutely. So um, I have been doing this for over 20 years and have worked with hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs, hundreds of uh, healthcare practitioners. I was classically trained as a financial advisor, but one of the things that I really found we were missing the mark on was 
yeah, we can get you to retirement. We can talk about investments. We can talk about insurance, but we weren't talking about the day-to-day and the day-to-day struggles. We weren't talking about having really great incomes uh, as professionals, but living paycheck to paycheck, debt that can't be eradicated. And our whole behaviors and cognitive biases that we have, the science, if you will, around how we behave around money. And so I really switched the focus of my practice five years ago, working with healthcare professionals, quite frankly, because I worked with a naturopathic doctor uh, personally and with my second born child. And I just found that I, you know, the line of fine that you always talk about was what I was getting from my doctor, my MD, and just knew my body, knew my child's body. And we just weren't, the line of fine wasn't cutting it for us. And so working with my naturopathic doctor changed my life, changed my health, changed the health of my child, and really saw how an integrated practice that really works on the whole person is so similar to the work that I do when I work with somebody is really taking that view of all aspects of your financial well-being. And so really saw the parallels and then again, really started building systems and programs and processes for uh, clinician entrepreneurs. It's funny. Like, it's not funny you say that. I just, we, we chat because we're in alignment on this and, um, one of the things I want to acknowledge just for for everybody, but in particular for practitioners. So in my practice, and I, I know I've shared this with you before, I'd ask people, what's your major source of stress? And they had like five boxes and other, they could put whatever they wanted. And nine times out of 10, one of their primary sources of stress, and I worked in the heart of Toronto's financial district with people where like, arguably based on, on paychecks or the health of their business, money was like, should be a non-issue. Nine times out of 10, finances were the primary source of stress in someone's life. And and if as clinicians, we're going to be like stress is a major influence on someone's health. I think we all just need to stop and go, wait a second, like money and money acumen is actually a driver of health. We know from the social determinants of health, not having access to money and funds, we like we certainly know influences uh, health outcomes, but this pervasive chronic stress because of money mechanics is an issue. And I, I share this with everybody in part because I want to segue to this piece first, which is this cognitive bias that we have in our in our industry. And I was sharing with you that I said to my mastermind group this weekend, I'm going to own any responsibility that I have for allowing the scarcity mindset to persist in our clinician neighborhood here. And I will equally share that I am no longer tolerant of its existence. I'm tired of conversations where it's like, I'm just, if I could just maybe pay my bills, that's all I need in life. To, you know, I, I'm, I'm never going to have any money and I shouldn't because I help people to, um, it's unethical to get paid to help people with their health. I'm happy to unpack all the conversations. I'm just not going to let them stagnate. I'm also just like unwilling to let us remain in this spot because we can't have the influence and the impact that we collectively could be having if we can't keep our head above water. And we're no further ahead than our patients are. Like we're stressed about the same things they are. Like we, this is a leadership opportunity for us and we need to step into it. My diatribe is over. April, you work with so many practitioners. I was like, just everyone, if this is bothering you, you can go now. I don't want to, I don't want to take any more of your time. What, like, what are, what are these cognitive biases that you are seeing practitioners? What are the stories you are seeing them tell themselves that are keeping them from putting some of the mechanical pieces into play? It's, 
worldwide. It's it's renowned. It's not just with healthcare practitioners. Like if we want to loop it back to what I saw happen in Nova Scotia and Halifax in particular around Hurricane Fiona, we saw it playing this scarcity mindset playing out in real time days before the storm hit. We saw people queuing up in grocery stores to take all of the bottled water, all of the storm chips, all of the bread. And, you know, if you weren't going to eat that much am- amount of food over four days normally, why are you hoarding it? And why are you taking it from others? And so it comes back to this scarcity mindset that we all have. And so it just boggles my mind in, in regards to what happens during before for hurricane prep or storm prep. And now we're in this inflationary environment and I'm seeing this same scarcity mindset play out with my clients. And it really is boils down to if you do not have a plan and you do not put yourself into this place of abundance, you will hoard, you will self-sabotage, you will throw your system out as soon as there is a bump in the road. And this is what I am seeing with practitioners who are not stepping into getting comfortable with the uncomfortable. You don't, money is not your jam. You got to step into it. You cannot advocate this to others. You have to have a plan. And when shit hits the fan or a hurricane is on the horizon, you double down and you work the plan. You don't go back to this place of, you know, if I just pay my bills, that suffices. We don't go back to hoarding all of the potato chips. Like you got to keep when the storm is on the horizon, that's the time you double down and you work the plan. Which, just for everyone listening, is no different than the advice you give your patients when they're like, I'm totally happy to follow your plan, except for nights when I'm out with clients and except if it's a birthday party and except for this and except for this, but then expect to get better, right? Like it is, it's literally the exact same behavior change we are asking business owners to make that those of you who are practitioners are asking your patients to make. It is literally the same it's the same level of, of new information. It's the same sense of, oh my gosh, I've never done it this way. It's the same sense of no one's ever taught me these things before. It is literally the same thing. And so I just want to hold space for everyone that if you're, you know, if you're struggling with understanding this money piece and simultaneously struggling to understand why your patients aren't uh, getting better or sticking with it, I just want you to like feel that vibrational similarity between those two uh, those two entities, because it really is a parallel conversation. You can't master one without mastering the other unless it's by accident. And that's just a ter- like that's just a terrible choice to live your life by accident or build a business by accident. You want to be really intentional. So with this notion of intentionality, we are not in a phase globally right now, unless you disagree with me, April, where we're like smoothing it, like sailing into one of like the nicest economic, flat water, like sunset, uh, we have seen in our lives, a lot of economists would suggest that we are moving into fairly turbulent waters. Can you just paint a picture for everyone and maybe take us out of my euphemism and into reality around um, what it is that we're, we're sitting on the brink of as business owners? You said I had to stay cheerful. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we also open with like, 
storms can be fun. Like I'm a snowstorm person for that reason. Like we're pushing everybody out and we're shoveling the snow. I, I like snowstorms. So um, I'm still being positive, but like what, what is the economic storm that we are looking at? Cause it is not a clear forecast right now. If you take a look at cycles with markets, we have ups, we have downs. You can't expect in your life, everything to keep going up and up and up. And so we've just come out of the pandemic. There was a lot of uh, relief, if you will, financial relief around that. At some point, that has to be paid. And at some point, these inflated markets, especially on the tech side, have to correct themselves. And so on top of that, we're seeing prices go up in food, in gas that we haven't seen for over 30 years. We have entire generations who have never lived through the inflation that we are currently experiencing. I always talk about my parents who were entrepreneurs and they owned a um, construction business and they saw their mortgage hit triple digits in the 80s and they saw their business line of credit hit double digits. And that happened overnight. And so, but yet they were still able to save. We've been in this place of low, low interest rates, and yet we've accumulated more debt than ever before of past generations. The good times, I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but good times don't last forever. At some point, interest rates had to rise. At some point, inflation had to kick in. If you take a look at history, this is what happens in markets. We are in you know, a triple threat right now with it happening in markets, happening in interest rates, hyperinflation. And we need to be prepared. Hurricane Fiona is on the horizon or Gaston, which is coming right behind her. And so we have to be prepared. We can't have our heads in the sand and we also can't be negative Nelly about that the sky or chicken little that the sky is falling either. That is not helpful. It is not helpful to hoard all of the water, all the bread, all the chips is not helpful. But we need to, like you said, work the plan, have a plan so that when the storm comes, and it will, especially if you are entrepreneurs, that you have a solid plan to fall back on. It's like everybody asks me during this time, April, what are you doing with your plan? Same thing I was doing last year. Am I making different choices? Yes, definitely. But I'm still working the plan. And that's one of the things that when COVID hit, really, I I felt the same way. I was like, oh my gosh, COVID hit. I'm going to have to just button down the hatches, cancel all my scriptions, fire all my staff. And I'm like, nope, I'm going to listen to Mike Michalowicz. And Mike was a great coach during the pandemic. He met with us every single week, work the plan, work the plan. And I'm like, you know what? This guy's smart. I'm going to work the plan. And I had my best year ever during a pandemic. And it's just business has grown ever since because I work the plan, whether it's good times or bad times. Yeah, I, I totally appreciate that. And and I think that, you know, f- for me, I, I would resist plans. Like, I just want everyone to know, it's not like I put my, I don't know about you, but like, I, I resisted plans for a long time. I'm like, it takes me out of my flow state, whether we're talking about my financial plan or my time management plan. I was like, I, I really resisted the structure. And then what I realized is actually the more structure you have, meaning the more knowledge you have around whatever system it is you're trying to work, the more opportunity you have. You actually have more flexibility and freedom as a, as a result. Um, but it took, me, it took me some life experience to fully uh, fully appreciate that. 
because there's also during times of uh, recession, which maybe maybe we'll hit from a technical perspective, but either way, we're going to get some kind of rain. There's also tremendous opportunity that can emerge. But if you are like barely paying your bills now and in denial of the fact that the storm's coming, there's you you are not going to be able to capitalize or move momentum in the direction of opportunity. And there, I think there will be a lot of it. Frankly, absolutely. I always like swim against the grain. Because if everybody else is going and buying things, this is the time for you to maybe hold on because there's definitely going to be opportunities for you to invest to catapult yourself forward. And really, I guess putting yourself in that place of how did I feel when I chose this versus if I stick to the plan, what is my future April going to you know, capitalize on that. And so actually we were on a call and keep bringing up Mike, but we were up at a call last week with Mike and he actually used that aging app to take a picture of himself, I don't know, 20, 30 years in the future. And he showed us this picture of himself and what he's saying to himself is, okay, this decision that I make today, how is that going to impact that guy? He actually printed out a picture and he has it like up on his wall in his office of himself 20 years from now. And I just love that because I find with ebbs and flows in my business, you know, I have a really great month. I want to go buy all the things. And so now it's like, well, I got to remember how I felt when cash flow wasn't happening. And I've got to make sure that future April is being taken care of today. It's the same with your health. It's the same with all, you know, physical, whatever. It's the exact same. You've got to prepare yourself today for what could possibly happen in the future. So Megan, just like you said, these opportunities that are going to present themselves, whether they're investment opportunities, whether they're business growth opportunities that you can capitalize on, I hate that word, but that you have the ability to to look at those opportunities when they um, are going to arise and they're going to. I'm hoping on a boat. See, like this is, it's funny because as you were talking about this piece, I was writing something down and that was, I realized that the anticipation of these two events doesn't feel the same. The two events are paying taxes or buying shoes. I would much rather look forward to going to buy shoes than paying my taxes. Like if they're both on the calendar, like there's one that I'm excited about. But I shared with my daughter last time, she said, came into my office. She said, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm just paying a boatload of tax. And she kind of looked at me and I said to her, I'm like, I just want you to remember this feeling I'm having right now. I want you to own it. I was like, I am as proud and excited in this moment, dropping a boatload of money into that tax account and like actually paying it. It's the same excitement that I feel when I go and I like buy something new or reward myself. So the lead up, not as fun. I'm just going to call that out. But the actual doing it is actually amazing because there's, there's just so much personal leadership that goes into that. Uh, into that piece. And so I just kind of want to call that out to everyone that it is actually tremendously satisfying to put some of these pieces into play. And honestly, like, like, mentally, I don't mind paying tax because I'm like, good girl, like you, you, you did it, you like paying, you're paying a lot of tax. Um, I'd like to pay less tax, but that's an entirely separate episode of the impact podcast, but the feeling is the same. So I just I want to share that with everybody, because I think 
the, this notion of developing acumen around money, um, we're kind of scared of the feeling, but the more acumen you develop, it's like the better you get at tennis, the more tennis lessons you play, the more fun it is to play tennis. The first time you try to hit the ball, it's not that much fun. I love that. As you were talking, April, I, I dreamed up a game that I would like to play with you. And I'm going to call it. She's like, I don't even know what's coming <laughs> no, my way. I'm just thinking how much I love these conversations. It's like, it's, it's so traumatic. This poor woman just came through a hurricane. I'm like, we're going to play a game called Truth and Dare. And here's here's how I want this to roll. I want to like actually just break open the truth around a few things that small business owners and practitioners really need to know and get on top of in their business. And then we're going to dare them to take action on the backside of that truth. Love it. So we don't get either one. And the first truth I really want to just break right open because I think it it leads us to so many places is the truth around how much money we get to pull out of our business. A small business that let's say is making $100,000 a year in revenue, how much do we get to bring home as the practitioner who has a business that's driving that type of revenue? I think there's a massive disconnect between how much my business makes and how much I make. Do you have any light you want to shine on that idea 50 percent, 50 percent. and so here's my dare to everyone if we look at your gross revenue which is the total amount of money coming into your business and we're assuming it's sitting around a hundred thousand dollars i want everybody this is what i dare you to look at is 50 percent sufficient for you to be able to live on is 50% sufficient? And I don't mean live as in pay your bills. I mean, as like live, like capital L live on. And if not, my dare to you is, are you willing to increase your rates? Nice. Are you really, are you willing to charge what your time is worth so that you can capital L live the way you want? That was my first, my first truth and dare. And here's how the game works, April. You can throw any of these truths down at any moment. Num- number two, you've sat with a lot of practitioners. What, what is like one, one piece that you see commonly running awry in the businesses of practitioners that you would love to course correct for them before the storm comes in? Believe in yourself. Believe in that you can be financially well. And it is your right and I get, I've said this so many times, if not you, who? If you're not in business to serve you, to serve me, to serve my daughter, to make impact in our health, who will be? Do you have an action you want them to take on the backside of that? Absolutely. And that is to start paying yourself first, not your employees, not your You have to pay your expenses, but I'm just like, dare to pay yourself. Yeah. And know what you want that number to be. 100%. You really have to, again, this is what I harp on anybody that's taken my courses or been in my workshops. This is your financial why. You've got to be able to spit off your financial why. If you were in my office right now, Megan, you would see on post-it notes everywhere, my financial why. You got to know that number. You have to know that number. And I'm just, and sometimes I feel like people are sitting on the other side of this being like, I'm the, I'm the only one who feels, who feels that way. What, what's the truth on this? Like, what, give us, like, give us a bit of a behind the scenes landscape. It's, it's truth number three of like, what, what is the general economic, I'm not economic, like financial acumen status 
of practitioners, of the practitioners you work with? First of all, I want to just state that it is not your fault. It is not their fault because I have been talking to the colleges and people who develop curriculum at the colleges and your practicums and everything just are setting you up for, I don't think, the reality of what practicing and the cost of practicing looks like. So, but once you know, it is your responsibility to have knowledge. And so, what I'm seeing is falling back into those old habits when the sunlight has shown you that you need to follow a new system and a new model. And so, stop making excuses, pull off the band-aid, shut, let the sunlight shine in. And for the love of all things holy, try it for a quarter. Try it for half a quarter. Don't throw it out. This is what you're telling your patients. Oh yeah, you know, I took some, uh, you know, I, I took the supplements after a month. I didn't feel better. So I just stopped. Uh-uh. Or, you know, my insurance ran out. So I decided I'm not going to continue to see you. That whole mentality, Megan, is transfer transferring into practitioners, their businesses, and it has to stop. Because what is was Einstein said that the definition of insanity is trying for different results and doing the exact same thing. And this is what I see people try the system, they and then all of a sudden, they throw it out and go back to their old habits. And so you've got to be comfortable with the uncomfortable to get on the other side of impact. I love that because you did a truth and a dare all in one. And that's really to just get on top of these, uh, get on top of these pieces. Truth in a very practical way. What are, and again, prefacing this with it's not anyone's fault, but what are, what are we doing wrong? Like, what are you seeing practitioners, you know, based on this idea of the insanity of doing the same thing? What, what are you seeing people do wrong over and over again? And what are we going to dare them to do differently? So what I'm seeing done wrong over and over again is that they're putting into practice either products or services without doing the math to see what the gross profit is. They're putting into practice products or services that may not be viable. And then because they haven't looked at the viability, they spend and invest a lot of money to go down a wrong path. And my challenge or my dare is before you start to offer a new product, another product or service, do the gross profit margins on it. Because what you're going to see is if you're not hitting the margin levels, I see people closing up dispensaries. I see people opening IV labs and they haven't done the homework beforehand to see what the profitability is. So if you're in this season of looking at different ways of moving from one-to-one to more of a group coaching model or offering other services like IV, acupuncture, what have you inside of your clinics, before you do that, do the math to see what the gross profit is. And I'm saying that that's not looking at the clinics around you and deciding what your pricing is going to be. That's looking at you and your financial why and your value and determining what your pricing is going to be. Because once you do that exercise, three things are going to rear their heads. Number one, you're not pricing, you're not charging enough. Number two, your cost to deliver that product or services are way out of whack. Or number three, I'm sorry, but you just don't have a viable product. So that's my dare. Do the math before you offer. Do the research. 
And the and the corollary and the flip side of that, also in the in the spirit of like the truth, what are you seeing people do that's super smart right now? Where you're like, oh, that was really smart. Like, well done on that. What I really see, especially because I work with practicing clinic owners, your practice cannot float the clinic. You need to treat yourself like you treat every other associate. And what would be your splits if you were another associate? And what does that clinic and all of your other associates and everybody else in your clinic need to be making so that you can take a more than an L income, a living income, but a living life, large income from your clinic? Okay. I really, really appreciate you breaking, like bringing this to the table. I know we've talked about this before on the virtual practice podcast, and I want to go a little bit deeper on this idea because, and so this marks the end of the truth or dare game for one quick second, because I've watched people's faces when you bring this up in a group and they are, it's like jaw on the floor and the clinic owners go, what do you mean? I don't completely fund the clinic, which is you know, people who want to open a clinic, they're like, it's gonna be great because I will have my own income and then I'll have no other expenses with respect to the the practice because everyone else will carry that themselves, uh, which isn't uh, the reality that I see most of the time. How do we make that division? And are you saying they should be really pulling two salaries, the salary of I'm the clinic owner and how much do I want to pull out and I have my own practice and how much am I going to pull out? Is that what we're talking about here, April? That's exactly what I'm talking about. So assuming that we do that, let's first talk about our our clinic. So if I'm the clinic owner and I'm seeing patients and all of my revenues moving over into the practice, how am I dividing out that contribution? Well, first of all, what I have seen is that if you're doing any more than a 60-40 split, it's not viable. So unless your uh, associates are virtual, um, I'm seeing a 60-40. It's just not viable after that. So what I do is if you are a clinic owner and you are practicing, we put you down as associate making 60-40. And so that 40% needs to go into the clinic and needs to be enough for you, your 40% and that of your other associates to give you a salary or give you an income from the clinic that pays you not only for what I'm seeing, Megan, is that when I do this work before doctors start to work with me, is it can be like $1.67 an hour that they're making on running the clinic or they're actually losing money and that 100% of their income, they're, they're holding the clinic. And so they usually can feel that. But when I show it to them in numbers, it's a barf in your throat kind of situation. And so... Yes. So there has the clinic itself needs to be self-supportive. And I'm working with a clinic. We've been working together now for four years. And unfortunately, she had a family health issue. She was able to step away from that clinic for four months to be with her son. And she was still able to make a take an income from it. That's the point that you need to get to is that you can decide that, hey, I don't want to be working like a I was going to say mofo because I couldn't think of any other word. But I don't want to be working this hard. We all get that. We all get that. But it's not healthy. It's actually like it's off brand for what we're trying, for what we're exactly. trying to build. Exactly. Right. It's exactly. a dirty little secret in our industry that it's like, I'm going to talk about health and I'm going to kill myself over here to run my practice. To me, that is way more inauthentic than I'm going to charge my worth. 
Or right before they see a patient, they're looking at their bank account and are stressed beyond belief. And they have to walk into this next meeting carrying all of that. Or maybe they've just had an argument with their spouse about money because we know that it's the number one reason for for breakups, like they're carrying that all, all on their shoulders. It is this, you know, practitioner heal thyself when it comes to their financial well-being. So there's a, we painted a really interesting picture here. And that is you own the clinic. You should be looking at 40% of your earnings go towards supporting the clinic max. And from that 40% all in pot, meaning all your associates are contributing 40%, we should be running the expenses of the clinic, paying for the admin staff, running your marketing, all of the above. And so when we, when we examine that, that piece, and these are, these are all ballpark numbers. To me, I look at that and one of the easiest things, all expenses staying the same, easiest way to sort of restore those ratios is acknowledging that probably everybody is undercharging for what it is they are doing for one-on-one care. Like to me, that is first and foremost, if we're not hitting these and or able to hit these kind of benchmarks, it should be like a gut check of like, gosh, what would I need to charge in my practice? Here's your dare, everyone. For me to be able to draw a salary from my clinic, but only give the clinic back 40% of what I am, uh, what I'm earning. That's the first observation for me. The second observation is if we can create a secondary stream of income that is not based on seeing patients, we are significantly reducing the risk associated with our business model. Would you agree with that based on your vantage? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And just so everybody knows, when you decrease your risk, like the biggest driver of fees in our industry is the fact that it is the most high risk activity we can undertake as practitioners is is one-on-one practice without any other streams of income. And as an industry, if we could all go, hey, what if I had multiple streams of income and created a system around that? We decrease the risk associated with one-on-one care. We actually drive the cost of care down. And don't be afraid to maximize your rooms. Don't be afraid to maximize your space. You know, when I do a cost analysis or a sales analysis per square foot, it is so, so I'm, I have a background also in retail. Uh, My husband and I owned a business for 13 years together. And when I did that cost per square foot or sales per square foot, we found out that socks were a bigger driver than kayaks. And so guess what? Socks got a lot of real estate. And so you got to understand, do not be afraid to rotate those rooms. And you know what in our industry is the version, like is the sock equivalent when we're talking about these kind of practice models? It's it's follow-up. It's follow-up care and it's continuity of care. It's like so great to get an intake, but that's the kayak. Like the fortune's in the follow-up. Megan, I just did this with a doctor this week and I actually showed them per minute how much more they were making on maintenance and follow-up versus first time. And you talk about your mar- marketing and all of the other that goes into getting a new client through the door. And everybody is concentrating on that side of the funnel when they've really got to be concentrating on. That's where you make impact too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're always singing from the same songbook, but if you do the per minute of a maintenance client versus a first time client, it is astounding how much more you make. And what's interesting, because we have data on this and for practitioners, like just, I just want to set the stage. This is where it's actually exciting. Like a few key shifts on how you think about transformation versus transaction 
And we can increase what's called the lifetime value of your patient, meaning the value that that patient brings to your practice. The average naturopathic patient is about a, has about a $650 lifetime value for the average naturopathic doctor in Ontario calculated over three years. That means they come through your door, they're going to contribute on average $650. Why? Because we kind of stink collectively at getting people to stick around. So that's usually in the first three visits. When we start to teach practitioners how to deploy a transformational process and they charge what they're supposed to do, we take the average lifetime value over three years from $650 to well over $3,700 in three years, almost six times more valuable to your practice simply because you're moving someone through a transformation. And here's the bonus and the exciting thing. If you guys can't hear my excitement, like April and I are quite excited right now. You get better outcomes for people's health. Like, who knew? Like, they're actually getting better. You, you earn more. They get better outcomes. Like, all end goals are met. Like, this is when we talk about getting on top of these things and making a plan. Like, this is why, this is why April and I get excited when we talk to each other because we're like, oh, together we are unstoppable. Um, because we can transform what's happening financially and people's health. It's just super powerful. April, I know you have something to say. There was no question there. It was just like, oh a my God. I wish, I wish people could see our faces and, and the, I just went through the lifetime value of a customer exercise with a doctor and here's a truth or dare. So the truth was walk them through all the metrics, showed them the by minute, how much more lucrative it is, talked about transformation, shared my model, because this is how my model is as well, had them completely onside, got an email from them, they talked to a marketing company, and the marketing company they decided that they were going to front end with their program. And I'm like, so this is my dare. That was the truth. Walked them through, showed all the numbers, and went back to their tried and tr- well not not tried and true but went back to their old habits of front end loading their practice so my dare to everybody listening is dare to create a transformative practice on the back end of your funnel versus the front because as Megan just said and as I just showed a client that is where you are going to create impact for your patient and for your practice. The math just shows it time and time again. And Megan, I had no idea it went from 650 to 3,500. But I'm like, calculate your lifetime value. And also your profit margins go up because you have less and less expenses going into a backend product like that. You don't need ads. You don't need ad management. You've got the people, they already love you. They're already seeing the transformation. And it's so time efficient for you as a clinician. Like you do an hour and a half intake, you're spending an hour and a half going through all your notes. Like that's a three hour intake, guys. That's not an hour and a half intake. So we could do this. We could do this all day long. And I've got to see a doctor in four minutes. So so there you go. So if I ask you the question, good, because this will transition us to rapid fire questions and we're going to nail all these pieces. What advice would you give to a practitioner who's asking you how to best future-proof their practice? Diversify your income streams. Uh, One of the ways you could diversify your income stream is you could come hang out with us both at Impact Lives, which is taking place 
in Toronto on the 17th to the 20th of November. April will be presenting. Everyone who comes will have an opportunity to hear from her brilliance. Uh, so if you haven't got a ticket to that already, you can head over to meganwalker.com forward slash podcast and you can get hooked up. April, I've got some rapid fire questions for you and I know you can handle this. When you need it at a moment's notice, how do you cultivate courage? I think of my kids. Oh, that's so nice. What's your motivational beverage of choice? Green tea. What's your biggest non-negotiable in your life? Time with my family. As an entrepreneur, were you born with it or did you learn to become an entrepreneur? I was born into it and learned how to be better. Last question for you. What do you want your legacy of impact to be? If, again, we can all get ourselves out of this scarcity mindset and into abundance by by using systems and keeping to them when times get bad, like, I'd love to work myself out of a job. Amazing. April, thank you for your insight, for the opportunity to jam it out. Where can we send people to learn about all the things you are up to in this world? Absolutely. Well, over on my website, aprilstroink.ca. I'm also on Instagram, aprilstroink, and on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. Amazing. And you're one of our speakers at Impact Lives, where we are talking all things future of health, how to future-proof your practice. And every year I teach something at Impact Lives. And this year, the piece that I'm teaching is how to add an immediate 5K of recurring revenue to your practice. That means every single month, I frankly think you can't afford not to be there. April, thank you so much for your time. I can't wait to see you in November. Oh, me too. I'm so excited. Impact is what lives on when we leave the room, tuck them in, or step off stage. It is less about what you do, more about how you make them feel, and everything about how you choose to show up in the world. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this episode. I am your host, Megan Walker. Until next week, aim for impact. Impact.